is Rabbi Neet Leah Sarna and Rabbi David Walkenfeld. Shalom and welcome to the Straw Hat. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the beautiful neighborhood of Lakeview in Chicago, Illinois. In this episode, we will be talking first about a new program in the show called Learn and Earn, Lilmod Ulahar Viach. Um, it's a program primarily rolled out for kids, but um, adults are welcome to participate as well, and you'll hear all about it on this episode. Uh, then we're going to interview some participants in the program. We are going to have four Walkenfeld children with us here in Schlensky Studios. And lastly, Rabbi Walkenfeld and I will be discussing the shiur that he gave at Tikkun Lal Shavuot about Torah holding and Torah stands. Let's talk about the new Lilmod Ulahar Viach, the Learn and Earn program that has been launched a few weeks ago. Uh, tell us about it. What's it for? Who's it for? And what's the educational goals? Sure. So Lilmod uh, Ulahar Viach, or Learn and Earn, is a new program, I guess primarily directed towards kids in the show. But if adults want to participate, I've told many an adult, they learn something, I will give them a sticker. Um, <laughs> when kids learn stuff, they get an option of a gift certificate to Windy City, Starbucks, or um, Unabridged Books. Uh, so, you know, if you learn a lot of stuff, you can really do well on this program. Um, and the goals are for kids to master these kind of core Jewish skills. Um, most of them are either things that you need to, like, read, learn how to read or say perfectly, or things that I think, or we think, I guess, um, someone should have memorized. So let's, let's, I'm sort of curious, what would be something that you believe uh, a child growing up in our community should have memorized? So I think um, one of the brachot that, that I think everyone should have memorized and a child in our shul, growing up in our shul should have memorized is the bracha you say after you go to the bathroom. Uh, it's a really beautiful bracha. I think it, it teaches you this kind of like Jewish body awareness of like it is a miracle that your body works. And even to do something that's kind of quote unquote disgusting, like go to the bathroom, like that's actually a miraculous thing. And if, if you couldn't go to the bathroom well, like that would be a big problem in your life. And so to walk out of the bathroom and, and be able to say this absolutely beautiful bracha that's just long enough to be hard. You know, it's longer than hamotzi, for example, mm-hmm. but short enough that even even someone, you know, in first or second grade could really memorize it um, and say it and make it part of their daily practice. Yeah, I'll just say as, as in my capacity as a parent in the shul, I think teaching my um, first grader to say Asher Yatsar um, by heart was not something that I had really prioritized um, until the program came along. And uh, with a few weeks of, of practice, she was able to memorize it. And now it's something that she's able to incorporate into her religious life as a young Jewish person uh, growing up, uh, hopefully um, absorbing all of those um, values that, that you just mentioned. So tell me, what are some other skill sets that you that are in, included in this program? So some of them are kind of Shabbat skills that maybe just in the home people are doing it, but parents are doing it instead of kids. So I think like kids should know how to say Kiddush. I don't know that you need to say Kiddush by heart, but I want you to be able to get all the words right. I want you to have a general sense of what it means and be able to read it perfectly. Also, reading Hebrew is not easy. And even even if you're great at modern Hebrew, reading some of these liturgical texts, learning how to read really carefully that you can get all of the nikudot correctly, all the accents right, um, and say all the words. I mean, you hear adults making mistakes in, in these kind of liturgical moments all the time. So what if we have an opportunity now to teach kids how to not make those mistakes? Indeed, that's good. You know, just one aside that, that was raised, uh, Kiddush on Friday night is a mitzvah uh, that's incumbent upon men and women, adults, mm-hmm. uh, and only adults can fulfill the mitzvah of Kiddush for 
uh, for other adults. And so, for sure. so, so your just, child shouldn't say it for you um, if you're an adult. But like when I was growing up, everyone around the table, just so that we, my brother and I would learn it, everyone around the table made their own kiddush on, you know, long winter Friday nights. And it was beautiful, a, it was a good learning opportunity for me and my brother. Beautiful. So that, that's beautiful to mm-hmm. make for a child to make his or her own kiddush to mm-hmm. master that, that skill. But adults should be making, making sure an adult should make kiddush for other adults at the meal. And if uh, certainly. certainly a, uh, if even if in, in many families, it's customary for a father, for a husband to make kiddush. If he happens to be away for a Shabbat meal, certainly the adult woman at home should make Kiddush and not her uh, her twelve year old, ten year old son. Right? That's uh, definitely uh, okay. So, it's, uh, any other uh, ones? You, uh, let me actually. Where can we find out this list of skills? Is there a uh, tell us the website? Sure. So um, you can find it at asbi.org/learnandearn, um, and it'll actually redirect you to a WordPress site where you can see all the different skills. And I'm so glad you asked because this is really important. When you see the list of skills, there's hyper links attached so that let's say there's a skill that um, is on that list but that actually the parents don't know let's say one of the one of those sets of skills that's nature blessings um, I've actually had the opportunity we've had all this crazy weather in Chicago recently I feel like every other day I'm saying the thunder and lightning blessings um, and it's really Ch- useful. Chicago's really great for nature blessings yeah Chicago's <laughs> great for nature blessings and I actually get an opportunity to see them all the time um, and um, I know I, I feel that a lot of people don't know them or the rainbow blessing what a beautiful blessing to say a blessing every time you see a rainbow of course you know everyone stops to go ooh ah but what if you took that moment to go ooh ah thanks god um that would be like the more jewish way of experiencing that moment so um but probably a lot of people don't know those they're they're a little bit less common than let's say the food blessings um so um i have links on the site which you can follow which will have the blessings written out with nikudot with um vowels and they'll have them in transliteration and some of them will have um even recordings that you can practice with um and if you're looking for certain resources in order to learn these skills and you can't find them i'll just make them for you meaning if you're looking for something in transliteration i'll write it out for you or if you want a recording that you can listen to let's say in the car with your family yeah i want to emphasize that i think that's a real um like core mission of the shul that if you decide to raise your children in our shul uh, we will do whatever it takes to help you raise them as empowered and educated Jews. Uh, and even if you don't have the skills yourself, like that's what the shul is for, to, mm-hmm. to come and meet you and, and fill in those uh, those gaps in your own sense of competency and teaching those skills to your children. We want every child uh, who grows up in our community to have really the maximum um, education that, that their parents want for them, and we're here to meet that need. So we, we will make personalized recordings. We will sit down and, and help uh, reinforce the skill set with your mm-hmm. kid. We'll, we'll find a sign language interpreter if you want that's what it takes uh, although probably nobody listening to this podcast will need the sign language interpreter but maybe you'll know somebody we'll do what it takes to make sure that uh, that we can partner with you to give your children these these skills and the other thing I'll say is um, some parents have come to me and said you know I want my child to participate in this program but they really know most of these skills so two things. One is that often I'll push a little deeper and it'll turn out that the child kind of knows most of the skills and that this might be actually a push for them to like fully master it. So, oh, I know this because I can read it. Well, do you know it by heart? That might be a good thing to know by heart. Um, so that's like step one. And then step two is like, if your child really has mastered all of these, great. There is so much Jewish stuff that should just like 
be in your head. Um, I have a teacher that uh, Rabbi Arya Klaver always says, like, what do you think about when you're stuck at red lights? <laughs> and the answer for most people is like, well, I'm listening to podcasts, so <laughs> maybe I'm listening to the Straw Hat, so I don't know. But but that was really his kind of push towards memorization. My grandfather felt, um, Allah Shalom felt very strongly that Jews should have this like corpus of memorized texts that are just in their heads, and that actually like memorization is just a core part of being a human. And obviously, with computers and Google and blah, 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 like that has really really declined, but I would still say that like some of the texts that I memorized as a child um, are very much kind of in my head, bouncing around, serve as these kind of core identity pieces, and I would want that kind of for everyone. We're joined in Shlensky's studio today by some special guests. We have uh, Noam, Hillel, Akiva, and Sophie Wagenfeld with us. Um, and they're here because they have participated or are in the process of participating in our Learn and Earn program. Um, I'm here with Sophie. Sophie, what did you learn for Learn and Earn? So um, I learned a shared song. And what was that process like for you? Did you enjoy learning it? Where did you practice? Well, I practiced after I went to the bathroom. Oh, well, that's and great. And I practiced with my mom, and she helped me memorize it. That's great. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, all right. Um, Helen and Akiva, you guys also both just learned one skill. Go for it. Tell us about it. We, we learned Barana for show. Uh, it was really fun. Great. Can, can, you, can, you, can you tell us, just for people listening, how can they, um, if they see, see one of you or both of you, how, who's Akiva and who's Hillel? It's really easy for me to tell, as long as I can look at you. But um, <laughs> any, any tips for our listeners? Um, Hillel is taller. Akiva is shorter. I'm shorter. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, um, you have not yet uh, completed a learn and earn task, but you have a goal that you're look, working on? Yep. I'm working towards... Uh, Finishing me- the memorization of Ahanicha, and I'm looking forward to that uh, Grande Coffee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Noam has a major, major Starbucks fix, so this is actually going to be an important source of his uh, of his meeting that that need. I think so. Lo- lo- I think lo- look to see him in your office a lot, like checking okay. off uh, various skills. Great, Noam. There's a lot of Torah for you to memorize, so it's going to be exciting. I'd also like to add that Halal has a dimple and Akiva does not, so that's a good oh, way right. to keep them apart. Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys ever get confused which one of you is which? No, no not really. <laughs> okay, that's important, I guess. I have a question. How did um, one of you guys worked, worked pretty hard on, on getting all the words right in Barina Fasho? Why is it important to get all the words perfectly? Because if you say it wrong, it could also change like the meaning. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes I'm a little bit of a stickler when people come to me telling me that they know some skill. I'm a little bit of a stickler of like, mm, you got to say that word again. Or I'll like prompt people, like, say it again, say it a little bit better because the words actually matter because these words, even if they're a little bit foreign sounding to us, these words have meanings and those meanings are are preserved when we when we understand them and when we when we enunciate them correctly and and slight differences between like an ah sound or an a sound for example can completely change the meaning of a word and then you're saying a blessing that means something totally different than what you think it means or what it's supposed to mean um that's if we believe blessings are powerful things then we need to be careful in how we pronounce them so we're recording this podcast coming just off of Shavuot, and Rabbi Wachenfeld and I both had the opportunity to do quite a bit of teaching on Tikkun Lel Shavuot. Um, and Rabbi Wachenfeld actually did some, some uh, prepared a new shiur, which she hadn't taught before, 
Uh, do you want to tell our listeners about it? I would love to. Um, I, I hope sometime in the coming weeks, sometime over the summer, to teach uh, this material in our shul at a more conventional um, hour. No, hour. 2 a.m., not not Beat Me Josh Wednesday time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> conventional for uh, <laughs> Chicago daylight time um, at some point in the summer. But I know we have listeners who uh, are uh, all over the world and all over the country and, and even in Chicago who can't necessarily attend a shul on a Shabbat afternoon. Uh, and so I'm really happy to kind of share. I found the, the, the topic really, really fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, we just had the chance at the shul to dedicate our Torah bench uh, in memory of Bert Levinson. Uh, our Torah bench is where the Torah rests um, during the half Torah or days when we take out two or three Sifrei Torah. It's where the Sifrei Torah rests when they aren't being read, when the first or second you know, is being read. Uh, and uh, many shuls don't actually have a bench of this kind. It's like a bench with holes for the Atzei Chaim to go into. Uh, many shuls, and actually the places where I had happened before I, I moved here, uh, somebody holds the Torah in his arms when it's not being read. And I actually looked into it as a halakhic question when I moved here. I saw that there was some halakhic debate about um, that question and uh, was told, I think, six years ago, don't rock the boat, you know, it's, it's don't, you know, you just really, uh, but I went so to... So what the, are the, yeah, what are the sides to that debate? So, so Rav Moshe Feinstein is very much against uh, this, this practice, uh, although it's interesting really how he frames his whole discussion was a synagogue where, in his words, the people were too lazy to hold the Torah themselves and, and they wanted to build this bench to, to put the Torah because they didn't want to hold it themselves. And that, that really animates his entire uh, survey of the sources and mm-hmm. uh, really it's just sort of coming from this place of how disrespectful would it be that like you're in a synagogue where the prior practice had been to like, hold the Torah lovingly in your arms and mm-hmm. instead you're just leaving it on a bench where he feels it isn't really protected a toddler could go up and and, mm-hmm. and fiddle it even if there is no toddler there uh, just the fact that it's exposed and accessible is mm-hmm. fundamentally objectively he believes uh, disrespectful the other side of that debate uh, comes from uh, the Sefer called the Dot Sofer by Rikiva Sofer from that great Sofer Schreiber, mm-hmm. a family of, of uh, halachic scholars going back to the Chassam Sofer. Uh, so the um, Rikiva Sofer says uh, that you know, the reason why you put the Torah in a some sort of holding, some sort of carrying case, a bench, um, specially made for that purpose when it isn't being read is because it's really hard to pay attention to create a Torah if you have a Torah in your arms. Mm-hmm. And so from the perspective of the poor fellow who's tasked with holding on to this Torah during the long laning mm-hmm. or during the half Torah, he's missing out on paying attention to the actual Torah being read. And fundamentally, uh, the, the greatest way we show respect for the Torah is by listening to it, right? Yeah. <laughs> As it's being read. Uh, and, and that's the other well, side of it. do you wonder it. whether that changed with the invention of Chumashim? Say more. How, Meaning, how would... if everyone is just listening, if everyone's just having this like audio experience, then holding a Sefer Torah shouldn't be distracting. But once you're trying to juggle a Sefer Torah and a Chumash with which to read along... That all of a sudden seems like a much more complicated thing. That's that could be, or we're used to like for us paying attention to Torah reading means following along with a chumash, whereas uh, several hundred years ago and for thousands of years before that, paying attention to the Torah meant listening very carefully as the words were read. That that allowed that that. Uh, that I mean, and also yeah. picking up on this theme that I was talking about before about knowing things by heart before everyone just had a chumash, like oh, I don't need to know the Torah by heart. Like people really, really did know the Torah by heart or large swaths of it. The original aliyah, right, was someone just getting up mm. and being called up and them just reading, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of transitioned more into the model of an ola and a korab. Being separate individuals later, but but that's certainly like the the, the original kind of halachot around this. I'll assume people have yeah, this kind yeah. of and then and then once we once we saw that that introduction of, of we honor the Torah 
not necessarily by how we placed it or how we hold it, but also just by listening to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we and then pivoted to uh, reading some excerpts from an essay by Rav Huttner, um, mm-hmm. uh, the Pachad about what it means for the Jewish people to accept the Torah. And mm-hmm. he points out that at Sinai, all of us were there together to accept the Torah. And there are moments in Jewish history where the Torah was renewed. Uh, we renewed that acceptance of the Torah. And in each of those moments, there was some element of all of us coming together uh, as one Jewish people. A paradigm for that is the mitzvah of Hakel, where mm-hmm. the Torah was read, parts of the Torah read by the king publicly, and men, women, and children. Uh, infants were all brought to... Why, why are the infants mm-hmm. there when Hakel? Because it's reenacting Sinai, where all of the Jewish people had to be present. And uh, he then you know, takes that to apply to this sort of interesting historical... Um, Curiosity that the Shulchan Aruch became this foundational book of halakha, one of the most authoritative and influential codes of Jewish law, even as it's constructed uh, in this combination of the primary level, the Shulchan Aruch written by a Sephardic halakhic mm-hmm. scholar in Sfat, and then the the um, the mapa, the tablecloth uh, thrown over this set table, uh, which is written by the Ramosh Israelis in Krakow. And so he, he has a beautiful line. He says, this table that was manufactured in Tzvat cannot be considered uh, to be a set table until the tablecloth that was woven in Krakow is placed beautiful. on top of it. And the two, this Ashkenazi and Sephardic partnership is what turned the Shulchan Aruch into the Shulchan Aruch, this book that, mm-hmm. that Sephardim and Ashkenazim can both use as an authoritative guide to Jewish law. And then, and, and for a then that that is this fundamental um, aspect of um, paradigm of accepting the Torah, just like at Sinai, we accept the Shulchan Aruch as this this meld of Ashkenazi and Sephardic halacha, mm-hmm. similar to the way we all came to uh, accept uh, the Torah at Sinai. Now, I guess I have to say, you know, the Shulchan Aruch is not the final word, of course, in Jewish law. It really mm-hmm. is a very influential it's stage step, in, in, yeah. in the development of Jewish law, and uh, the way that the Shulchan Aruch is studied and read is with um, you know, several um, generations worth of scholarship and commentary and disagreements printed on the page of the Shulchan Aruch. So it's really just a, a, a stepping point along the way, but a very crucial and, and indispensable stepping point in the study of any halachic uh, topic that the Shulchan Aruch addresses. So does the Shulchan Aruch have anything to say about uh, what you should do with your Sefer Torah when you're not reading it? <laughs> Shulchan Aruch does not have any explicit <laughs> guidance, which is why it was left to uh, the uh, later postkim to to, uh, to offer their own opinions on this matter. But you got to wonder if the Shulchan Aruch had those Sephardic Torahs. You don't need a fancy... Uh, Sephardic Torah is a little different, yeah. Different, uh, you know, that comes up in, in the Halachot about, you know, how one should, you know, the Torah should be open or closed during the, the bracha. My... my, my mm. Uh, recollection is right is that the Torah is supposed to be open when the Ola recites the blessing before the Aliyah, and he just has to look away, so mm-hmm. it doesn't appear as though the blessings themselves were written, written in, in the Torah scroll. Torah, yeah. uh, but in between Aliyah, the Torah should be closed completely. And and just when thinking about some of the discussion about, oh my gosh, the congregation is going to have to wait as it's open and closed, and how many times you open it, and can you maybe keep it open and just look away? Uh, you have to have in mind that that. Some of the people having this conversation were had in mind a, a large, cumbersome uh, case, case a Sephardic yeah. uh, Torah case, which uh, maybe takes longer to open and close. But nonetheless, yeah. that is, I think, the Ashkenazi practice as well. Keep the Torah open as you recite the blessing before the Aliyah, but look away. Mm-hmm. And then uh, before reciting the bracha after the Aliyah, the Torah should be uh, rolled up. 
And you know, this these um these practices around the physical safer Torah, they vary greatly community by community. And it's a really fun thing to do when you travel to go to shoals in different countries and, and watch particularly this. Um in the, the oh, yeah. synagogue in Athens, Ethan and I were there a year and a change ago. Um the way they, they do hog by the beginning of the Torah reading, one person holds one time, another person holds Whoa. another, the Gabai takes a napkin and holds the middle wow. and they parade around the whole shoal. That's like a terrible idea. It's uh, I, I, they do it every week. So it's probably okay. fine, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was really different than what we're used to, and and I was like, well, you can't do that with the, that's dangerous. Like all my instincts were like ah, but like this is what they do in Athens. That's really interesting. I, I guess had that experience more as like somebody uh, orchestrating Torah reading here at our show, and just having people coming in from all over the world who mm-hmm. who, so, put, who do hagba and then put the safer Torah yeah, straight like back the, down. The Chabad, Chabad practices, practice. or they kiss yeah. before, they kiss at, right? They, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So you got to be careful with before you assign some of these roles that the pe- people assign them know know how we do things here. Yeah. Hello, I'm Noam Walkenfeld, and I will be hosting our first ever trivia segment on today's episode of the Straw Hat. And um, today's question is going to be: What year was this current building built? Okay, um, so if you think you know the answer to that question, what should you do with that answer? Okay, please record a voice message, and you can send it to Rabbi Nitzaner or to Rabbi David Walkenfeld. Uh, how, how do you record a voice note? Uh, you can do it easily on your phone. I'm sure you can also figure out a way to do it on your computer in this era. Uh, yeah. In this era. Okay, cool. So, right. So, record either a voice note on your phone or you can send it via WhatsApp or um, or on your computer and then email it to us and we'll patch that into the next podcast. We'll patch correct answers in. The oh, first three correct first answers, three correct so answers. Be patched into next episode of The Straw Hat. And don't forget to say your name in your recording. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Straw Hat. We hope that you enjoyed very much. If you have positive feedback, you can send it to us by email or let us know in person. Negative feedback, you can go to the ASBI Learn and Earn website. And on that website, there's a hidden contact page. So you can find the contact page and then use that to submit your negative feedback. If you have answers to our first ever trivia question, send them in by voice note so that everyone can hear your voice telling us your answer answer make sure to include your name in your voice note um lastly we would like to thank our producer Haley leventhal she keeps this podcast going and we're really grateful for all of her hard work hope you have a great day